Um, I, I was excited as, as we were beginning to look at it and talk about what we wanted to do over the next few weeks leading up to Easter because Easter is just a few short weeks away. And so we're going to be in this series all the way till Easter because I believe it'll prepare our hearts for what God wants to do as we begin to understand his love for us uh, and what he did for us on the cross. But uh, we're, we're in our second week of our uh, study of Ephesians is what we're doing uh, in this series that we're calling God's Love Letter. So if you have your Bibles this morning, you can go ahead and be turning to the, the, the book of Ephesians this morning, Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to pick up kind of where we left off last week. And after preaching on predestination last weekend, I wasn't sure that any of you would even come back. Uh, but you made it. Uh, and my guess is that you were predestined to be here today. And so uh, if you missed last week, seriously, uh, you, you, just, you just need to catch up. I'll just be honest with you. Uh, uh, last week we began uh, taking a look at this. And, and uh, you can catch that on our website, on a podcast. If you do that sort of thing, you can order a DVR. But, but, but seriously... The, the, uh, the, the book of Ephesians uh, is, is recognized and called by a lot of scholars and uh, theologians. Uh, it's referred to often as God's love letter to the church. If you've read it or studied it, you, you probably understand that. Uh, but I believe that, that uh, through this series, you'll have a better understanding of why it's called God's love letter to the church. But more importantly, my prayer is that you won't just see this as God's love letter to the church, but you will see this uh, much more personal, and you will begin to see this as God's personal love letter uh, to you. And so we began to look at this, this awesome uh, letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus last week, and, and if you were here, I believe you have a little better understanding of just how much God loves you, because we talked about last week how Paul uh, explained to the church and explained to you that he chose you, and for God to choose you should make you feel very loved, to know that he chose you before the creation of the world, and, and so I believe if you were here last week, you have a much better understanding of just how much God loves you, uh, but we're going to expound on on that today and over the next few weeks as well. But before we uh, get to our text this morning, I was just wondering how many of you here today, uh, and, and you can just raise your hand, how many of you here today have to wear uh, corrective lenses, either contact lenses or eyeglasses? Would you just raise your hand? <laughs> It's a lot of us, right? I mean, uh, a lot of us have eyesight problems. I, I, you know, it, it's, it's almost like I, I shared with the early service today. I think that when you turn 40 years old and you go to the, to the uh, DMV or the revenue office when you go down there, I think when they give you your new driver's license when you turn 40, they should just automatically give you some new eyeballs. I mean, that, that's kind of, it, it's like 40 uh, where, you know, you instantly started having to move things further away to see it, uh, you know, and so we all, you know, most of us have some sort of eyesight problem. Uh, I actually have to wear contacts and reading glasses. Uh, I don't know why I received the curse, but I have the curse uh, to where I have to have both. Uh, but, but for those of us that have eyesight problems, you know how important it is to be able to see clearly, right? I mean, you understand, you have an understanding because if you're like me and your eyesight is as bad as mine, uh, I will catch myself sometimes when I have my contacts out uh, and I'm just wearing regular glasses, I will take my glasses off and I will lay them down. That is, that is torture for someone who can't see well. 
to, to have laid your glasses down. Number one, you know, your, my mind is going, so I can't remember where I put them. So I'm basically just all, going all over the house like this right here, you know, trying to find my glasses and, and where they're at. Some of you feel my pain and know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, some of you think I'm lying, but it's, it's honest truth. But, but think about it, how important our vision is. If we did not have our eyesight, and I know some people that do not have our, their eyesight, but if we don't have our eyesight, that makes our lives radically different, right? It changes a lot of things uh, in our lives if, if we can't see. And the reason that I bring this up this morning is because in this first chapter of Ephesians here, we see the Apostle Paul, he basically takes a pause here in this theological discussion that we saw him begin uh, with us last week. He takes a, pa a pause here in, in his you know, doctrinal instructions to the church, and we see him begin to pray. We, we see him begin to write out his prayer for the church and his prayer for you and for me. It's a prayer for us. And, and this prayer, the focus of this prayer is this, that we would have spiritual sight. That, that's what his prayer for us is all about. And if you were here last week, you'll remember that, that in the first part of this chapter here that Paul, he, he, he's just dropped a series of theological bombs basically in our, in our lap. He's about to drop some more. We're going to see as we get on over into to, to chapter two, hopefully next weekend. But Paul knows that, that sim here, here's what Paul knows. He knows that simply explaining these things to the church is not good enough. Paul knows this. He understands this. He knows some of the things that I just told you are deep. Some of these things are hard to understand. There are mysteries uh, to, to God that we will never fully realize or never fully understand. Paul says, I know that I get that and I know that my words are not adequate to be able to explain it to you and the preachers that are, are gonna come after me, especially one in Greenbrier, Arkansas in 2018 does not have the vocabulary to be able to explain it nor the brains to be able to share it. And he said, I know this, I understand this. And he says, so I'm praying that you will have spiritual sight that God would give the church and give us spiritual sight to be able to see the th these things clearly because if we don't it's really of no use it's really of no use whatsoever if we don't see it and experience the way that Paul is praying for. So let's pick it up uh, with what Paul is saying here in verse number 17 this morning and and we'll go from there but he starts out saying this he says I keep praying I, I, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, our Daddy, He's our, our Daddy. He's saying, I'm praying that our Father may give you what? The spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why, why would He want us to have wisdom? Why would He want us to have rev revelation? He says, so that you might know Him better. So that you might Know him better. He says, I pray that the what? The eyes of your heart would be enlightened. I'm praying that the eyes of your heart would be able to see. I'm praying that, 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 that you would get some corrective lenses so that you could see clearly what God has for us. So that's what he's praying for, to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened so that we would have spiritual sight, to have the Spirit of God 
reveal to our souls what Paul has just explained to our minds, right? That's what Paul's praying. I, I, I want you, I, I want God to open your eyes so that you can see what it was that I was just trying to tell you and explain to you so that we can know him better, all right? Uh, because here's the deal. It's not just enough for you to know the facts with your mind. That's what Paul's saying to us here. You can know everything that there is to know. It's not enough that you just, you know, know the facts. You have to experience the reality in your heart. You've got to feel that. You've got to see that. Probably the, the, the best way that I, I know to explain it, and uh, uh, some of you that know me well, you know that this is the absolute truth, but, but my family... Uh, is, is quite addicted to this little place called Andes. I, I don't know how many of you are familiar with Andes, but I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, there, there's going to be an Andes in heaven. There will be an Andes in heaven, and so right now you need to begin practicing uh, what it is that you're going to experience when you get to heaven because Andes is like a little slice of heaven that God has given us here on earth. All right, it, it, it is so good. And so me and my family, we're, we're kind of on it. It's custard. Uh, I think it, I, they call it custard. I call it crack. It's so good. Uh, but, but my family is so on this that we will go at least once a week. I mean, at least one time a week, we, we will go to Andy's. Uh, my daughter-in-law, she loves Andy's as much as I do. And so when we're together, we just kind of team up on everybody else and we just declare we're going to Andy's, right? There'll be nights, Lynette and I'll be sitting there, you know, at 8, 8.30 uh, at night. And I'll just look at her and go, Andy's? You know, and so we drive the half hour to the, you know, the Andes in Conway over there on Dave Ward Drive uh, on a regular basis. Now, listen, for me to tell you just how awesome an Ozark turtle is from Andes, for me just try to explain to you how, how, how heavenly, divine that is, an Ozark turtle. Keep that in your mind if you ever go there because it's got caramel and it's got hot chocolate, it's got custard, it's got pecans, it's got cherries. I, I mean, it's everything that came straight from, from heaven. It's manna from heaven. And, but for me to try to explain that to you, right? You, you can't really understand it by me just telling you about it. So today when you leave here, you're going to go to Andy's. And we have a deal worked out that everybody from the church of Nazarene goes to Andy's today. I get points on my little card uh, because you go there. So it would kind of have an ulterior motive here. Uh, just kidding. But, but here's the deal. You know, me just giving you a head knowledge of that and telling you about it really doesn't express to you how amazing it is. You have to experience that for yourself, right? You're going to have to go there. And once you've gone there and once you've experienced that and once you've tasted that little slice of heaven, then you're going to fully understand what it is that I'm talking about because you're going to have experienced that and felt that in your own life, right? Well, that's kind of the, the knowledge that, that I believe Paul's talking about here that he's praying for us to have uh, with God. And it's a felt knowledge. It's not just a knowledge in our head, but it's something that we have actually felt and we have actually experienced it and we have tasted him and we know that it is good, right? We know that he is sweet because we've experienced it. 
We felt it in our own lives. When God gives us spiritual sight, he takes the facts and he takes the doctrine and he takes all the theology of the Bible that we know with our minds and we understand with our minds. But when he gives us spiritual sight, he makes them burst alive within us with a sweetness that we can experience and we can know in our hearts and our lives. That's why Paul praised this. Right, we, we, we come to know these things as something that is real and something that is personal and something that is felt. And don't miss this this morning. It is possible. It is possible for you to be around Jesus a very long time, maybe even a lifetime, and never really know him and never really experiencing. And, and I'm gonna make a big statement here this morning that I read in a commentary on this, on this passage of scripture, and this is huge. One scholar put it like this. He said, almost all of your spiritual problems come from a lack of sight because what you know with your mind has never been felt with your heart. And, and let me just put it like this. Ha, have you ever felt what some people might call spiritually dry. Hey, have you ever felt that in your life where you just felt spiritually dry or, or maybe just cold or, or, or you felt like something was missing and you just feel like there ought to be more because you see other people and they're so excited and, and, and you know, every, you know, everything is just seemed to be God focused and God centered. And you know that there's just got to be something else to it. There's got to be more that you're not getting or you're experiencing. But that's exactly what Paul's praying here for, that we would. He knows that's what we need. That's what we're looking for. What we need is, is, is what is in our heads to come alive uh, in our hearts. And, and, I, and I'll say this this morning as well. Some of you have been in church or maybe even been Christians all your life. You, you've been in church and you've been a part of church ever since you were a little bitty kid. And you're well-versed in the facts. You know the facts, you know the scripture, you know all the popular Bible verses, you have the knowledge, but you don't feel it. You don't feel it, you don't experience it. You, the, the, God's word and a relationship with him doesn't wow you. It doesn't captivate you. So don't miss this this morning. It's not gonna be some new fact about Jesus this morning that you need to learn. You know the facts. You've been in church all your life. You know it better than most preachers that are probably standing in a pulpit today. It's not some new fact that you're going to learn today that's going to make everything right. I'm not going to stand up here and explain some doctrine to you or some new idea to you. And, and you're going to say, oh, now I get it. That was the missing piece all along was, was this knowledge that, that he, he gave us this morning. That, that's, not how it, that's not how it works. And some of you here today, sadly, if we were honest, you've become bored with Jesus. You've, you, you've, you've become bored with the church. You're not satisfied with the church. You don't, you, you, you just, you know, drudgingly get up and make yourself come to church every Sunday morning because it's something on the list that you've got to check off for that week. It's something that you've just got to do. And, and there's no real spiritual passion in your life whatsoever. Right? And, and, and you know, you go through the motions, but, but you don't really enjoy church. You go through the motions and you don't really read the Bible for yourself. You're not really praying on your own. You don't really feel anything during the worship services. Can I ask you something this morning? Why have you gotten bored with Jesus? 
Why is it that you've gotten bored with Jesus? Why is it that you have gotten bored with the church? And most importantly this morning, how do we fix that? How do we fix that today? Listen, it's not the facts about Jesus that I'm going to tell you that's going to make him more interesting, okay? It's nothing that I can tell you that can make Jesus any more interesting than what he is. You need to have, Paul says, you've got to have the eyes of your heart opened. You've got to have the eyes of your heart enlightened to the truth that you already know. You already know the truth. And Jesus is described in Scripture as, as this well of living water. Now think about it. When you want more water or better water, what do you do? Do you make the well wider? Do you dig it so it has a bigger circumference? No, what do we do for the better water? You got to dig deep, right? You, you got to dig deeper in, into it. And I'd say that for, for many of us here today, probably that's our primary need. That we need to be digging deeper instead of wider, right? Digging deeper, to, to dig deeper, to know him. And to know him, Paul says, here's the deal. You got this spiritual sight. You've got to have spiritual sight. We need the high eyes of our heart uh, enlightened. And the only thing that can bring that about in your life is prayer. And so we turn to this prayer today. This is, this is huge. This is a great model of prayer. If you struggle praying, mark this in your Bible. Maybe you even need to, to write this down and start praying it for yourself. Start praying it for your kids. Start praying it for your grandkids. Pray it for your pastor. Pray it for your church. Pray it for others. This is huge. Uh, so this morning, what I want to do is I want to focus on just a few things this morning in this prayer that Paul prays for us uh, and the church. The things that he wants us to have our spiritual eyes opened up that we would be able to see. What is it that we need to see? What is it that we need to know and experience? The first thing is this in verse 18. He, he says, I pray that you may know the hope to which he has called you. All right, now our word hope in English doesn't do an adequate job of describing what the Bible is talking about in the original Greek here, okay? Because think about our English word for hope. What does it mean uh, to have hope in our world today? Well, basically it's this. If we're hoping for something, then that means we want something to happen, right? We want something to happen that may or may not ever take place, right? It, it, you know, we want it to happen, but we're not really sure that it will happen, Example, we all hope the Razorbacks would win a national championship. We have hope that they will. I mean, we want it to, right? But who knows if it will ever happen or not. But yeah, we have hope that we're going to hammer down. We're going to put her in the left lane, right? And hammer down. And all you in the left lane that ain't hammered down, get out of it. <laughs> but we have this hope, Right? But who knows if it'll ever happen. The hope that the Bible speaks to is so much different than the hope that we talk about. It's so much different. Don't miss this. This hope is not something that you're not sure about. Okay? The hope that the Bible speaks to, this hope is something that you are very sure about that just hasn't happened yet. That's the hope of the scripture. That's the hope of Christianity. It's something that we know is going to take place, but it just hasn't happened yet. It's something that you look forward to with great anticipation because you know it's going to happen. You know that it's coming. And when you do, when you know, when you have that kind of hope, let me tell you what will happen. It will literally reshape everything in your life, right? When you have that kind of hope, it will literally reshape your entire outlook 
uh, on life. So what is Paul saying we are certain is, is going to happen? What, what is our hope? What, what is it that we can be sure of? Absolutely sure of. Well, we looked at it last week. If you weren't here, you missed out. You're just going to have to catch up. But early in the chapter, he says this. Here's our hope that God is going to finish what he started in us. <laughs> That's the hope. He's not done yet. He is going to finish what he has started in us. We're going to be, Paul says, you're going to be holy and you're going to be blameless someday. He's not done with you yet. You're going to be holy. You're going to be blameless. You're going to be reconciled to him. You're going to be filled with him. And oh, by the way, you will be with him forever. That's your hope. There's your hope. We can be sure that that's going to happen. Because remember last week, he chose us before the creation of the world. He didn't choose you based on how good you are. He didn't choose you based on how good you look or how, how well you act. He didn't, no, he chose you before you were even created, before the creation of the world. He chose you before you ever did anything good. He chose you before you ever did anything bad. He chose you. And so the hope that we have is in that. <laughs> it, it's in that. And that should reshape how we view everything, how we look at, at this world, how we view our problems, how we view our sickness, how we view all the things of this world. It should change the way we view them. Let me, let me give you an example and maybe think of it like this. Let's say you've got a, a rich uncle, okay? And when he dies, he leaves you a billion dollars, all right? I've got a rich uncle, and he's going to leave me a lot of money if he ever gets out of the poorhouse. But, but you've, got a, you've got a rich uncle, and when he dies, he's left you a billion dollars. And all you have to do to receive that billion dollars is to show up at the lawyer's office and sign a piece of paper. And the instant you sign that piece of paper, that money is automatically transferred into your account. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome to know that you had a rich uncle that was leaving you a billion dollars and all you had to do was get to the lawyer's office and sign that piece of paper and it would be yours? And on your way to the lawyer's office, your car breaks down. Think about how you're going to respond to that car breaking down. I mean, I mean, you're going to get out of that car and you're going to kick it and you're going to cuss it and you're going to be mad and you're going to sit down on the curb and you're going to sulk and you're going to pout and you're just going to sit there. Because the whole thing is no hope. That's not what you're going to do. Frankie's going to walk. I'm running. Huh? I'm skipping. I'm singing. I'm running. I'm getting to the lawyer's office one way or another. And oh, by the way, when I sign that piece of paper, I'm going to have 10 cars. That car ain't going to matter. I don't care about that car. I got a billion dollars. See how it would change my perspective? Huh? You see how it would change my, my, my view uh, of things? That, that's the kind of hope that we have in God, folks. Amen. Right? It, it changes the way we view our problems. It changes the way we view our pain, our sickness. It, it changes the way we view our difficult marriages. Right? Once the eyes of our heart have been opened to see and experience this hope that we have in God, it will change the way you view everything else in this world. And everything else in your life. And Paul wants that. That's why he stops and prays. I, I'm just praying that you'll see it. I'm just praying that you'll feel it, feel it and experience it Because he knows if you can experience this hope in your heart and in your life. That it's going to transform you. It's going to change you. 
right? And then secondly, we see Paul, man, this is good. This is good stuff. Y'all aren't near as excited as I am. I'm already out of breath, and I'm only on point two, and I've got like eight, so. Uh-oh. Secondly, we see Paul pray here that we'll see and know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Here's what Paul's praying for us here. He wants us to see our worth. He wants to us to... To know and see our real value, right? And, and I believe, you know, we, we often read right over this uh, here in verse 18 because honestly, it, it kind of sounds like some religious mumbo jumbo. I mean, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. What does that mean? Anybody? Uh, you know, so, so I had to dig in and, and study some people that actually knew what they were talking about. But I, I think we need to take a closer look at this because this is absolutely awesome. I'd never even considered this before. But first of all, whose inheritance is this? It's not yours. That, that's not what it says. Whose is it? It's his. It's his glorious inheritance. So that makes you wonder... What in this world is there that he doesn't already own? What is it that he doesn't already, you know, have that he can inherit that's not already his? You? The one thing that he didn't have, that he was willing to go to a bloody cross on Calvary to obtain was you. It's his love letter to you. Get it? He wants you to see it. He wants you to experience it. He wants you to understand how much you are worth to him. This is almost too awesome for us to even comprehend. God who literally had everything, right? He loved you so much that he was willing to submit to the pain and the suffering and the humiliation of the cross just so he could be with you for all of eternity. Do you see it? Do you feel that? What well, one scholar uh, said it like this. He said, to create the heavens and the earth cost him nothing. To create the heavens and the earth cost God absolutely nothing. But to save us cost him his very life. That is what you are worth to him. And when you see what you're worth to God, Paul knows if you can see that, if you can somehow grasp that and experience that, Paul knows that that will transform your life and change 
uh, your life. And I, I'm going to jump ahead here a little bit because I think it's relevant to this point, what Paul later says in chapter 3. We see him stop again, and, and we see him go to prayer again, basically over in chapter 3. I want you to, to, to look at what Paul prays for us there in, in verse 17 of chapter 3. He says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, that's the church, to grasp how wide and how long and how high high and how deep is the love of Christ. And, and to know this love, get this, he says, this is a love that surpasses knowledge. I know you can't understand it. I know you can't comprehend it. But he says, it, it surpasses that, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul says, I want you to see and I want you to feel and I want you to know the love of Jesus, right? How wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. I want you to know that. It's hard to understand, but I want you to try to understand it. He says, because this, this love that he has for you, it surpasses our mind. It surpasses uh, our knowledge. So, so how, do we, how do you know something that you can't know? I mean, how can you know something that you don't know? That's basically what Paul's saying. This means that this kind of love cannot be explained by any preacher, Right? This kind of love can't be explained by Paul or any other preacher that's followed him. It's this. You can only experience it. You can only experience it. And when you experience that, that love, and only when you experience it, will God become real to you. And, and, and Paul says, only then, he says this, will you be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God? Feeling this love in your heart is literally the experience of the presence of God in your life. And, and so if God doesn't feel real to you, this is what you should be praying for. Okay, this is, this is how you should be praying. He becomes real when he opens your eyes to see how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This is how God becomes real to you. Paul goes on. The third thing that we see here is this. Paul says, I pray that you may know, in verse 19, his incomparably great power for us who believe. Don't miss this. He wants us to see. He wants us to know this great power for those who believe. That power, Paul says, oh, by the way, that power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the kind of power he's talking about here. He wants you to see and know God's great power that is at work in you. God wants us to know the power with which he is working in and around and, and through us as his children. And, and the nature and the magnitude of that power is measured, Paul says, by the resurrection. I want you to think with me this morning about the power of the resurrection because he says that's the kind of power that you have. And the power of the resurrection, I would argue, and Paul would argue, that is the most powerful thing that could possibly ever take place in this world. The greatest power in all the world is the power of the resurrection of the dead. Huh? Huh? You take something dead and make it live, and you've got some power, right? To take something that's, you know, there's no greater power than bringing back what is dead and giving it life. This is the power of the resurrection, to take the dead and to give it life. Listen, to take nobodies and make them somebodies, right? 
huh? To, to, to take bad lives and turn them into good lives. Paul is saying, do you see this? This is good news for you. Amen. If God brought life out of death with Jesus, if he did that with, with Jesus, then he can bring life and he can bring healing back to the mess that you've made out of yours, right? Do you see it? But because you need to see this power in and at work in you and, and through you working to accomplish what? God's purposes in life. He, he's wanting to accomplish his, pur his purposes uh, in your life. He will finish what he started in you through this resurrection power that flows through your veins as a believer of Jesus. Oh, I hope and I pray that you would open your eyes and see this. That's what Paul prays. You know, most of you don't need to plead with God for help. You've been pleading and pleading and pleading with God to, uh, for help and, and to help you. Uh, you. You don't need to plead with God for help. You need to plead to God that he gives you some new lenses <laughs> so that you can see the power and experience the power. That lens, that new set of glasses, Paul says, is found in the resurrection power of, of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, he prays, and I cannot skip over this. He prays that we will see and know that God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. For who? I've been praying that you would see this. First, <laughs> this is awesome. Basically what he's saying here is I, I want them to see and, and, and I want them to know that the battle's already won. I, I, I'm praying that they will see that. I'm praying that they will know the, the, the battle's been won and, and Jesus is already securely on the throne. I, I'm praying you'll see that. But don't miss this. I, I don't feel like this is something that we can just ignore today. Paul wants us to see that the main thing that Jesus is doing in the world, he's doing through the church. The greatest thing that God wants to do in this world today is build the church. Huh? The, the church is the focal point. The church is the bride. The, the church is the apex of everything that God is doing in this world. Right? And for Paul... It would be inconceivable that the church was just an event that you attended on Sunday. <laughs> inconceivable. But, but instead, Paul would want us to know and Scripture would want to teach us what the church is. And the church is this. It's a family that you belong to. Amen. It's a body that you're a part of. Right? Uh, it's a place where you will have your deepest relationships. Okay, it's a place where you will be most committed. Uh-oh. I, I want you to think about it like this. The church was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. The church is a place where God's power flows. 
The church is a place where God is doing his greatest work. It's in and through the church. And so I would argue that if the church meant enough for Jesus to die for it, then you should be deeply devoted to it. Amen. <laughs> Some of you don't agree. If Jesus invested his blood in the church, think about it. If that's what it's all about, if it's about the church and his bride, if it's about the church and Jesus invested his blood for and into the church, then I would argue, Paul would argue, then you should invest your best. The best of your time, the best of your energy, and the best of your resources to it. Because God is ready to move heaven and earth through the church. <laughs> He's ready. It's not a lack of power on God's part, right? God's ready to move heaven and earth to literally pour out the power of the resurrection in order to do what? Complete the mission to build the church, to, to build the kingdom. There is no shortage of God's power on this earth to save the lost. There's not a shortage of his power. He's simply waiting on the church or, or you right, to believe what God says he wants to do and then allow him and ask him to do it in and through us, right, to be available. Do you realize the power that God has placed at your fingertips? That's what Paul's praying you will see. That's what he's praying that you will know. And, and I'll close with this. Listen to, to, to what God's love letter is saying to you today. He's written this to you. He's telling you that all of the, listen, all of your spiritual problems are cured through vision. And vision is only given by the Spirit through prayer. And Paul prays this for us. This is, this is what we should be praying for us and, and, and others as well because prayer is what releases this power to open our eyes. Do you see that? It's the key. Prayer is what releases the power that opens our eyes so that we can see and know and experience it. Listen, I, I, I don't want to take anything away from our praise band. They're, they're awesome and I love them. But listen, th this power, it, this doesn't come from an awesome worship experience. It, it doesn't come from that. Paul didn't pray for greater worship. He prayed for spiritual enlightenment. That's what he prayed for, that we would see what God wants us to see and to know and to experience. There is something, and we talked about this in the series before, the other six days. Listen, there is something beyond a Sunday emotional high. There's something else besides that. There's something else. It's a deep soul enlightenment of the eyes of our heart. You know, a worship experience, an awesome worship experience might give you goosebumps for a moment, <laughs> but enlightened eyes will transform your life. That's why Paul prays it for you. That's why he prays it for me and he prays it for the church. Make this your prayer, that he would open your eyes so that you could feel and know and see the depths of God's love for you. Let me pray for you. God, first off, I just want to thank you for your presence here today.
I want to thank you for what your Holy Spirit is doing and what your Holy Spirit is trying to speak into our lives. What, what, the, what, what your Spirit's trying to speak into some of our families, some of our marriages, some of our, uh, 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 our, our community even, God. Thank you for being active and loving us enough to remind us of our mission. God, I, I pray today that we would see the hope that you have given us. I, I pray that we would see it. We would know it. We would, we would experience this hope that you have given us through your word. Uh, God, I pray today that we would see that you are in control. So, sometimes when it seems like th this world never looked more out of control than when your son was going to the cross, but yet you showed us who was truly in control. So, God, I pray that you would help us to see that you are in control and you are working in all things uh, in our life. I, I pray that we would understand just how much we're worth to you, uh, how, how valuable we are to you and, and in your eyes. I pray that we would recognize today the power that we have, uh, that, that you've put inside us, the power that we have access to. I pray that we would see it and experience, God. And I pray that you would extend that power through us, uh, through the church, to the people all around us, but, but not just those people around us that we work with and go to school with and we encounter down at the diner or wherever it may be. But God, you've given us the power to reach the entire world for you. You want to build your church in this, in this world. And so God, I pray that we would understand that that is the power that we have. And what you are doing, you are doing through the church. And the church is so important. So I pray we would be committed to the church. Because it's the church that you look down and you say, that's my bride. That's my bride. And I pray that as your bride, that you would find us faithful as your bride. And you would find us obedient. And you would look upon us and you would smile because we've been faithful in our relationship with you. God, I, I pray today that this wouldn't just be something else that we've heard. This wouldn't just be something else that we've heard about, but that it will be something that we have experienced and that we know because we know your word tells us, Paul tells us and reminds us today, when we know it, when we experience, it will change everything. And there are some people here today that need some things changed. And so I pray that this would become our prayer. This would become the desires of our heart that we would know you better. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. God bless you. I love you guys.